and welcome to the July 2020 edition of Aeon's Retirement Market Update podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Ricky Marsh. Some of you may have seen a story on the BBC website recently about Spotify producing a new series of DC podcasts. Initially, I thought I might have a bit of competition, but it turns out it's just going to be some stories about Batman and Wonder Woman, so I think I'm safe for now. After all, who wants to listen to that when you can listen to me talking about pensions instead? Okay, maybe don't answer that question. But luckily, you don't just have me to listen to. This month's guests are Joe Sharples and Tom Spence, and they'll be joining me later to delve into the mysterious world of negative interest rates. But first, here's some of this month's pensions news. If you have a long memory, and by that really I just mean if you can remember anything from before the lockdown, you may recall the DWP's consultation on DB commercial consolidators, or super funds, from back in December 2018. There was never any formal response to this consultation, and there was also nothing on super funds in the Pension Schemes Bill that's currently working its way through Parliament. However, the pensions regulator has now stepped in to fill the void with some guidance on the standards it expects from super funds. The guidance covers consolidators like Clara and the Pension Super Fund, as well as capital-backed solutions like LNG's insured self-sufficiency offer, and it's intended as an interim measure while we wait for longer-term legislation to be implemented. As you might expect for these kind of arrangements, a lot of TPR's requirements focus on capital adequacy. Super funds will have to meet minimum requirements for their technical provisions assumptions and hold additional capital buffers against market risk and longevity risk. Strict limits will also be placed on investors extracting returns or profits from super funds, although these will be reviewed within three years. Investment strategies will have to comply with seven principles, which include limits on concentration of investments and allocations to illiquid assets. Super funds will also have to follow guidance in areas that will be more familiar to trustees of other DB schemes, such as integrated risk management, long-term planning and governance. Super funds will need to explain how they're going to meet TPR's requirements before taking on any business. Sponsors who want to make use of this option will also need to apply for clearance before any transfer is completed, and TPR have said they don't expect super funds to accept transfers from schemes who have the ability to buy out in the foreseeable future. TPR have also been hard at work updating their suite of COVID-19 guidance. They've confirmed that most of their reporting requirements will resume as normal from the 1st of July, and outside of this, the biggest changes are to the guidance for trustees of DB schemes. While TPR accepts that suspension or reduction of deficit repair contributions may still be appropriate, they're taking a firmer line on the information that should be provided before trustees agree to this, and the protections or other mitigations that should be sought as part of such an agreement. TPR also expects trustees to draw a clear distinction between short-term issues with liquidity or affordability and a material deterioration in employer covenant over the medium to long term, with the appropriate action depending on which of these situations applies. There are also some updates to the guidance for employers with DC schemes, mainly around the gradual phasing out of the furlough arrangements between July and October. The requirements for employees who return to work on a part-time basis while remaining on furlough are complex, so rather than digging a hole for myself, I'm just going to let you know that they exist. There has been some concern in the industry that the complexity will lead to mistakes, so if you're an employer affected by this, you might need to set aside some extra time to get to grips with the new rules. The Pensions and Lifetime Savings Association has also been quite busy this month. Firstly, they've set up a forum seeking views on practical ways for the retirement savings sector to address climate change risk. They're running some online roundtables and their website's also open for submissions from interested parties until the 14th of August. The findings and recommended policy actions will then be outlined in a report later in the year. 
The PLSA has also published a template chair statement for trustees of occupational DC schemes. This provides a welcome starting point to help typical DC schemes comply with TPR's requirements, but it's not a magic bullet, and the PLSA have stressed that schemes should continue to consult their advisors as part of this process. We'd agree that it's important for trustees to engage early with their advisors on this, as you'll need to leave enough time to pull together all the relevant information before getting your trustee report and accounts audited and signed off within the usual timescales. Here's a quick update on a story from a couple of months ago. After a short delay, the Financial Conduct Authority has now set out a package of measures designed to address weaknesses in the DB transfer advice market. As expected, contingent charging, meaning where an IFA only gets paid if the transfer goes ahead, will be banned. Advisors will also have to consider available workplace pensions for the receipt of a transfer. And there will be a new option for abridged advice. This will help to weed out cases where transferring is clearly not appropriate but members would still need to go through the full advice process before a transfer can be recommended. These new measures will come into force from the 1st of October 2020. I normally try to avoid speculation, but there's been a lot of talk that the Chancellor may be preparing to ditch the triple lock on state pensions next year. Under the current system, the state pension increases each year in line with the higher of average pay increases, inflation, or 2.5%. This year we've seen a significant fall in average wages, with a huge number of employees receiving only 80% of their usual pay under the furlough scheme. The 2.5% minimum means this won't result in any reduction in the state pension. However, if things return to normal next year, we'd expect to see average wages springing back up, and this big increase would automatically feed through to the state pension under the triple lock. Now, The government had committed to the triple lock in its 2019 election manifesto, but this extreme volatility in average wages may mean it has to be suspended for at least the next couple of years. If that happens, it's likely to trigger a wider debate over its longer-term future. If you'd like more information on any of this month's news stories, although maybe not that last one, I'll include contact details at the end. We're well used to low interest rates in the UK. The Bank of England base rate dropped below 1% in 2009 and it's been there ever since. However, one thing we haven't had to contend with so far is the phenomenon of negative interest rates. With increasing press speculation that we might be heading towards this strange new world, we thought it was worth taking a look at what this could mean for pension schemes. So today I'm joined by a couple of colleagues who have been giving us some thoughts. Tom, Joe, welcome to the podcast. Before we get started, can I just ask you to briefly introduce yourselves? Thanks, Ricky. So my name is Tom Spence. I'm a principal investment consultant here at Aon, and I advise a number of defined benefit pension schemes on their investment strategies. Thanks, Ricky. My name's Joe Sharples. I'm a partner at Aon, and I'm responsible for our DC investment funds. Thanks, guys. So probably worth starting with a bit of background. Tom, did you just want to give us a summary of what's going on? Sure, Ricky. So interest rates across the world have been getting cut and cut over the last decade. You alluded to it. And in some parts of the world, they have indeed already turned negative, like Japan and, and some parts of Europe for, for a few years now. So what does negative interest rates actually mean? So lenders and indeed regular savers are going to have to pay borrowers and banks for holding their money rather than receiving interest for doing so. In normal times, lenders have an insisted on borrowers paying them interest in return for lending their money to them. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, and the rate of interest rate paid varied depending on how likely the borrower is to pay the money back, um, along with compensation for the fact that money will lose some of its buying power as inflation erodes it. 
But this um, conventional arrangement was, was turned on its head somewhat in the aftermath of the financial crisis, as central banks all across the globe, including the Bank of England, cut interest rates, but also crucially printed money via a process known as quantitative easing, where central banks created money out of fresh air and used it to buy bonds, which pushed up their prices and push down market interest rates with the objective of, of hoping that governments, companies, and, and just regular households would borrow money and spend it, and doing so revive struggling economies. So indeed, with the Bank of England base rate now at just 0.1%, there's not much room to go here, and there's increasing commentary around the move to potential negative interest rates. Towards the end of May of this year, a number of monetary policy committee members made comments stating that negative interest rates shouldn't necessarily be ruled out and pointing towards Europe and other regions where negative rates that are already in place have arguably made positive impacts to the economy. And it's not we don't have to look far afield. Indeed, uh, knock-on effects of this. If we look to Denmark, um, mortgages with negative interest rates went on sale last year. So borrowers were lent money at a rate of negative 0.5%, which meant the sum that they owed fell each month by more than the sum that had to be repaid. And there's no reason why UK lenders could not follow suit, although so far there's no sign that any will. So this bizarre state of affairs is making it increasingly difficult for investors to know what to do with their money and will absolutely have knock-on impacts for both DC and DB funds. Okay, thanks, Tom. So I guess if we look at DC first, Joe, what are the the immediate implications for, I guess, first investors who are in cash funds? Yeah, so most DC pension schemes will offer a cash option within the wider self-select fund range. And that's typically there to provide their members with a, a low risk option to keep their money safe. And over the last few years, as we've seen interest rates come down, we've seen the returns from those cash funds at around about half a percent before fees are deducted. Now, of course, once you've deducted fees and those returns come down a little bit, but still most members will have seen returns being positive, albeit only very slightly positive. Now, as interest rates have fallen further in the last few months, and if if they go negative at some point in the future, then that means that those cash fund returns will fall further and will likely become negative, particularly once fees are deducted. And that's something that most members won't have seen before and they certainly won't be expecting. And I think a lot of DC members do go into cash and invest their money in cash because it's seen as low risk and in particular they don't expect their money to fall in value. And so I think that will need quite careful communication and explanation, and it may actually warrant many schemes issuing a specific communication to their members, which might be part of something like an annual newsletter to actually explain what's going on and to answer some of the questions that might arise. Okay. And um, if we look more widely, I guess there's a lot of members who will be invested in other asset classes rather than just cash. What are the implications for those other sort of asset classes? Absolutely. So many DC members are invested in the default strategy. And typically, most defaults will have a higher focus on growth assets. So, for example, equities during the early phases. And thinking about the implications for equities in particular, As interest rates fall, and especially if interest rates go negative at some point, then that will 
serve to force investors out of cash in search of return, uh, meaning that they're more likely to go and buy equities, go and buy other more risky assets. And in the last two months, we've seen that happen and risk assets, in particular equities, corporate bonds, have seen that boost from interest rates coming down and also the reintroduction of quantitative easing around the world. And in the short term, that's really helped to support asset prices and we'll see DC savers benefiting from that. Longer term, we also need to consider the sort of wider impact on businesses. And for many businesses, those low interest rates will actually be positive, bringing down their financing costs and helping to manage overall costs and potentially offsetting some of the impacts around COVID-19. So pulling that all together, for many DC savers and particularly those younger members who are contributing to their pension, lower interest rates and potentially those negative interest rates may actually serve to be a positive in the short term with that boost to asset prices. Thanks, Joe. So Tom, I guess if we turn to DB for a moment now, what, what does this mean for the kind of conventional DB asset classes? Thanks, Ricky. So, yeah, looking at what negative interest rates might mean for the mainstream asset classes you'd you'd find in, in a defined benefit scheme. So, first off, equities, and, and Joe did allude to, to a bit of this, in general, falling interest rates uh, have given a great boost to shares since the financial crisis, really, and we've seen more so in the last couple of months, and especially those in, in the US. The expectation of growing future profits and cash flows from companies becomes more valuable at lower interest rates. That together with the fact that shares currently offer more income than bonds, all does point towards a positive impact of negative interest rates on stock prices. Clearly, other factors are going to come into play, including the economic fallout from COVID-19 and overall profits growth. But low and indeed negative interest rates are generally a help for equities rather than a hindrance. With respect to bonds, low and negative yields show that bonds are very expensive and really do not increase the buying power of investors' money. Indeed, if you were to buy a 30-year inflation-linked government bond in the UK today, the yield is about negative 2.5%. However, that doesn't mean they won't get any more expensive. There's still significant competing supply and demand drivers for bonds, including defined benefit pension funds who are on de-risking journeys. Could be a little bit off tangent, but gold is not a conventional asset class for pension funds, although it's getting some increasing focus. Gold's appeal increases when the income returns from other asset classes and bonds is negative. So in investors holding a zero income producing asset like gold are no longer losing out, but in fact gaining relatively on your money by not earning a negative return. So if central banks are intent on devaluing the buying power of money by printing lots of it, then gold, which cannot be created out of thin air, could enter more and more DB fund portfolios. And finally, Ricky, I can't talk about negative interest rates and not mention their impact on overall DB pension scheme funding levels. Negative interest rates and the likely knock-on consequences to fixed and real yields would not be good news for pension funds that are not 100% hedged against interest rates and inflation. So this obviously got quite profound economic implications for schemes that aren't fully hedged. As suddenly your downside is not artificially bounded by yields getting close to zero, but can go further. And as we've been telling clients, zero is just another number. Thanks, Tom. So just to wrap up, Joe, I think if we turn back to DC, but away from the investment side for a moment, what could this mean for members who are close to retirement and thinking about trying to draw their benefits? 
So generally for members at retirement, negative interest rates isn't good news for them either. Um, members coming up to retirement have choices in terms of how they take their benefits. Um, they can access cash, they can purchase an annuity, or they can keep their money invested to take income as and when they want, often referred to as drawdown. Thinking about that annuity purchase piece first, annuities have been pretty expensive, to be honest, over the last few years in any case, and we've seen relatively low take up, um, particularly as members have had more options around how they take their benefits. However, with interest rates coming down and if they go negative, then actually that makes annuities even more expensive. Having said all that, I do still think an, buying an annuity is something that members should consider at the point of retirement, if only for the fact that they are very, very good at managing longevity risk. So the risk that you live longer than you expect. And that's something that is historically very difficult to do on an individual basis. So from that perspective alone, I think it's worth reminding members that they should look at annuities as an option, but also keeping on reminding them as they're in retirement and taking their benefits, actually, is an annuity the right option for you at some point in time? The other side of that is for members who are looking at income drawdown. So here you keep your money invested and you might take a steady income over time, or you might just dip in and out of it as and when you need the money. And if interest rates were to go negative, that has big implications in terms of the return that you can actually earn on your investments. So in particular, if bonds aren't giving you an income or a return, actually that reduces your return right down. And in terms of the impact on individuals, that means one of two things. The first is that either they simply take less income in retirement, so they need to adjust their expectations accordingly, or the second is they actually need to adjust their assets to increase the expected return and get the returns from elsewhere. And typically that's going to mean taking more risk than a member might have expected to otherwise. What's interesting anecdotally is that in the last couple of months, and I accept this is really quite a short period of time, we've still seen members wanting to access drawdown because they actually want to access part of their benefits. But interestingly, for members who are already in drawdown, we have seen them starting to take less income in the near term, which actually is a very sensible action to take when we think that they have seen some volatility in their asset prices. Thanks, Joe. So I guess, I mean, we don't really know if this is going to happen or not. It, it looks more likely at this stage than it has done for a while, but hopefully that's given everyone some idea of what to expect if we do end up in this strange new place. So thanks to both of you for calling in today. Thanks for having us, Ricky. Great. Thanks, Ricky. Right, that's everything for today. So thanks for listening. And thanks again to my guests, Joe Sharples and Tom Spence. I'll be back next month. And hopefully you will too. I mean, it can't be worse than Aquaman, surely. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places, including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify, so you never miss an episode. If you'd like more information on our retirement solutions, or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on ricky.marsh at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aon.com.